Just one game this week. The 3-1 FA Cup win over Derby County. Trevor Griffiths, in reference to last week's pod, says he's happy to have been proven wrong. David Caldwell thought we'd get turned over, but he was proud of a very assured performance. Adam Clawley had one word, outstanding. Gareth Kent, banging. Oliver, Billington is immense. Charles said it was a very happy night. Danny Phillips thought it was a completely different game to last week. We were in control and comfortable, with White showing his sheer quality. Dylan thought that White stole the show with a KDB-esque performance. James has it as one of his top three away games and said everybody stepped up, including Billington, after his initial shaky start. Tim Robinson agrees, one of the best away since the pandemic. Nobody was below 8 out of 10 on the night. He's so pleased for Lee Bell and the team. Alex Ford says that's up there as one of his favourite away days in 35 years. Jonathan Ditt was buzzing all the way home. He was delighted for Aaron Rowe and said the atmosphere in the away end was brilliant. Graham Miles agrees with that, saying it was such a great atmosphere with players who he thought were squad players being awesome. Scott Naylor saw an unbelievable desire to win. What they achieved on Tuesday and this season is making every crew fan proud, something Danny agrees with. He's unbelievably happy with what he is seeing at the moment, onwards and upwards. We Are Crew is talking about the transformation at the club as no one came expecting to lose. Mike Owen thought after a terrible start to the game, we were in full control and kept playing the crew way. Andy O'Neill says, what a night, what a team, see you at Wembley. Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Railway Men podcast. Uh, we've just got the one game to go through this week, the cup win over League One's Derby County. Uh, we're also going to have a little chat about the youth game on Thursday night. And we've got a special guest in to talk about how the season is going as well. Uh, to do all of that, I'm going to need my panel. They are, firstly, Mark Bertels. Hello, Mark. Hello, everybody. Alex Arani. Hello, Alex. Thought you were introducing as a special guest, you. I was very disappointed. Not this time, I'm afraid, Alex. Second billing, maybe. And Steve Bennett. Hello, Steve. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are. And our special guest is the man behind the mic. Uh, it's becoming a bit of a, a regular season check in now with uh, Graham McGarry. Hello, Graham. Yes, same here. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning to you, wherever you may be. And what a time to be on the podcast. You couldn't have picked a better time for me to be on the podcast. Get in. <laughs> well, I was going to say welcome back to the pod, but I think yours was a little bit better than mine. So, yeah, let's get started. Um, Tuesday night, Derby County away. I was like a lot of crew fans who didn't make the trip to Pride Park, so therefore had no way of watching it. You guys all did. Um, Mark, your good friend Tim Robinson described it as one of the best away days since the pandemic, maybe even ever for him. Do you agree with that? Or is that a little bit of a hyperbolic in the event of it all? No, no, no. I think it was uh, it was an amazing night and it feels a long time since we've had one. And um, We were talking about it actually coming out and I think the last time we felt like that at an away game was perhaps Coventry in the, the JPT when we won 3-0. But that, that night was... Um, Backs to the wall. I mean, on Tuesday, we absolutely deserved what we got. 
Um, no, it was a fantastic night, a brilliant night. The only downside for me a little bit that there wasn't more Derby fans in just to make the atmosphere that bit better because the crew fans were absolutely amazing. Steve, happy to go along with that? One of the best nights you've seen? Yeah, absolutely. I'd certainly put it, certainly in my top 10 away away <laughs> nights or nights following crew, really. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And as Mark said, I think we deserved everything we got on, on Tuesday night. Um, we fought, we played, and um, we, we ran out winners and deservedly so. Alex, I'm going to come to you for the first highlight, which was the Derby goal. Um, looking at the highlights, it's it's difficult to say that it wasn't, you know, down to a Lewis Billington mistake. Um, it's not ideal, but, you know, when we're crew fans, all of us on this call have been crew fans for long enough to expect and accept that these young players are going to make mistakes. And I guess in a three minutes into a, a cup game is probably the best time to do it. Yeah. You'd rather make a mistake three minutes into a game rather than three minutes from the end of it. You've got 87 minutes to try and come back from the mistake you've made. And it was a bad mistake. Um, he dwelt on it too long. His touch wasn't... He didn't get his first touch out of his feet so he could play the pass. It then all got a bit helter-skelter. And before you knew it, it'd been nicked off it. It was rolled across the six-yard box and it was tapped in. Um, I'm not going to blame the keeper because he was he was, he was was solid otherwise. But he got across to it and he got his leg on it and he just sort of pushed it in. I felt like, well, actually, he did the hard bit. Could he not have kept it out um, and sort of bailed out his mate? But but he didn't. But there's no blame being apportioned to him. It's one for Lewis Wellington to learn from. And to be fair, there was Mickey Dimitri, I think, went straight up to him. And there was a couple of others that basically just said, get on with it. It happens. We all make mistakes. Yours has just cost us a goal. Carry on. And straight from kickoff, we went straight back to him and said, carry on doing it. You're not going to make the same mistake again, which I think gave him that sort of self-belief and confidence that, yeah, I can forget about that. I've got enough faith in my ability here. I'm not going to do it again, which I think was really important. And I think it was it was well handled. Graham, I'm going to bring you in there. Um, Lewis Bellington, probably fifth choice defender at the moment um, behind the, you know, O'Reardon offered Demetrio and uh, Williams, but being used because he's needed and, he seems to be another one who's ready to go and ready for the first team. Yeah, quietly going about his job really well, showing progress. I think Alex is spot on with how he just summed it up there. I think that just shows, we'll talk more about how crew season's going, but I think it just highlights the one big thing that they've got, and that is togetherness. And those players who saw that mistake from Lewis were quickly around him. And I thought he went on to being right up there with the best. There wasn't any bad performances, but his performance for the next 87 minutes plus added time was up there with the best. And I thought he coped very well after a bit of a shaky start against their best player, of course, in Mendes Lang, in the first game. He's been out on loan a couple of years ago at, at League Town under, under Neil Baker. He's waiting his opportunity. It is few and far between opportunities at the moment because that's the strength that the crew have also got in the team with the back players. And not only are they just right back, left back, centre back, they can play all the way across the back and play in different systems. And he's shown that as well. So, you know, well done to the boy. And I think, you know, we might talk a bit about contracts as well in this particular podcast of players going out of contract and expiring in the uh, in the end of the season. And, and Billington, I would think, would be one of those waiting for that opportunity to come in. I think he's now progressing slowly, quietly enough to say I can play at whatever league level that uh, the team's at. 
I'd be quite happy with that, Graham, as well, to be honest. I think if he came in and, and was the replacement for Luke Offord and was still learning off Mickey um, and obviously Connor, I'd be quite happy with that. I think he's... Um, I don't think he was expected to feature much this season. Um, but when he has, he's been absolutely brilliant. He played at left wing back in the first leg. He's playing at right centre half in the second. I think he can probably do a job for us at right back if you put those two positions together. He probably offers you some versatility across the back line, which when you're on a sort of budget that we are, having a player that can sort of cover two, three positions allows you to potentially invest in a individual in a specific role for that for that higher wage, which we, which we obviously struggle to offer. So I think players like Billington, who come through the academy, who offer that versatility, are worth their weight in gold. We've seen it with Offord, who's obviously playing right centre-half. He's gone into holding midfield. He played at right-back um, after we lost NG for a few games before he did his hammy. Rio Adebisi the same. That versatility allows you to sort of spend a bit more on a player that you want to bring in that can really improve the first team. So based on his two appearances we've seen thus far this season, I don't think anyone would be adverse to him getting more minutes and seeing if he's worth a longer contract come the end of the season. Yeah, and I would also say there is obviously the elephant in the room that January isn't an awful long way away. And I think we, we all need to keep our feet on the ground and be aware that one or two of the players, particularly the I would say Connor at the back must be attracting some some eyes. And I wouldn't have any issue with Lewis Billington going in and playing pretty much every week at the moment. He's his progression has been impressive, to be honest. And as you said, he's played in a variety of positions already and looks quite at home in every one of them. Yeah, he, uh, just to fill in what Alex said a couple of minutes ago. You know, he did make his debut two years ago in what proved to be Artel's last game as manager at right back away at Doncaster. And then we didn't see him again for a couple of years. But so he has played there as well. Um, I think one of the things at the moment that we're seeing from this crew squad is because of the injuries, we're getting to see the players who are sort of on the fringes of the first team coming into the first 11. Um, I said on last week's podcast that Aaron Rowe, whilst he wasn't terrible against Notts County, I thought the best thing about him was his willingness to run around and make a nuisance of himself. Mark, that probably isn't the right way to describe his game on Tuesday night, is it? No, I think he did all right in that (laughs) game when he came on. He got a, a bit of stick on social media afterwards. People were calling him lazy and said that he didn't look like he wanted to run around. Um, I didn't see that myself. Uh, no, he was, he was. I mean, I don't know where it came from, that performance. Uh, he's looked like he uh, he can run at people and take people on, but there wasn't really any end product. Um, and, I, and I'm sure you'll come on in a minute and describe the goal, but listening to Belly talking to Graham afterwards, I actually thought the same he, that he did. He missed the pass. I thought he should have played it to Rio. Um, never in a million years did I expect what followed next. Um and obviously, it goes without saying, that's easily his, uh, his best performance so far in a cruise shirt. Yeah, one-man the... crusade to end uh, Janiel Bennett's trial, I think, wasn't he? I just think the one area that they were disappointed with, just to clarify the position of why he probably got a little bit of stick, and the management team weren't happy, he didn't really work hard enough when Mendes Lang scored that goal. He was the man who should have been first to Mendes Lang where he was, and he didn't do it. Fair enough. And, and that cost him. And that, at the end of the day, that cost him. If you look on the good side of it, I thought he set the tone when he played that ball through 
on Saturday in the first 90 seconds. Was it the Saturday or was it the Tuesday game, uh, the Sunday game? I'm not quite sure. When he burst past a few players and he picked the wrong option then. But he actually showed what his ability was and how quick he was. And all that came to fruition on Tuesday night in, in, the, in, the, in the replay. But it was just that goal that Mendes Lang scored that he was... You know, pointed out the finger. That's probably part of his learning, isn't it? That that realizing those those what small moments mm. can be big moments if you don't do them. I didn't spot that on the day either. Um, but yeah, that's fair enough. Because the ability's definitely there. You know, we look back and I think it wasn't his debut when he came on with 15, 20 minutes to go, and he he curled that absolutely gorgeous pass, uh, cro- sort of smock short crossing. <laughs> And we scored, didn't we, later? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can't remember which game it was, but yeah. Um, yeah, you know, so the ability's there. And as you said, it, it is part of the learning curve. We forget that these are all but kids, aren't they? I know that we've got them from other places, but they are. They are young lads, aren't they, still? Certainly in terms of their experience on in sort of proper adult football. I would just think, Steve, as well, that players like Alan Rowe, they wouldn't get anything like what coaching and talking to and trying to progress them than they do at Crew if he'd have stayed at Huddersfield. He would he's probably been left out of the cold. And he's not mm. a one one on his own. He's one in probably a thousand or two. Mm. Just listening to your interview with him uh, after the game, Graham, he seemed to be, well, one, firstly, he seemed to be really happy with the fact that he'd done what he'd done on the pitch on Tuesday night. And Secondly, it would it seemed to be that he he personally feels like he's not been match fit, and this run out now is giving him that ability to be match fit, and then to prove to himself and to us what he can do. Um, so again, it, even though we've got lots of injuries, it is giving these players the opportunity to go and show they're also players, isn't it? I hope I'm a lucky omen to Alan Rowe, just like I was to Joe White, you know. Because about a month ago, we did an interview with Joe White. You all remember it because you all go and listen to the interviews. That he said exactly the same. He said that he'd come to the club and it took him four or five weeks to make him feel right, to make him feel fit. And he's not looped back. He has absolutely been top draw. Too good for League Two. Well good enough to play in League One. Who knows where he's going to end up. Now Aaron Rowe, can he kick on? Can he go and follow that trend? Let's hope he can. Alex, I'm going to come to you to bring it back to the game. Um, both Aaron Rowe's goals, if I'm honest, if I'm a Derby fan, I'm disappointed <laughs> that they've gone in. The first one, not so much. I suppose there'll be a bit of frustration that he didn't close it down, but he has smashed it home on his weaker foot from just over 20 yards out. The second one, though, Conor Hurahan with the most telegraphed pass in history. I mean, you could see it a mile off from the angle we had. We were sort of behind him, so you knew what was coming. And I was like, you'd hope a professional footballer could see what was coming. And Aaron Rowe did. He nipped in and he got to buy a ticket to win the raffle. He had a shot. It got a deflection. And then it sort of just wrong-footed the keeper and looped in. But Christ almighty, what was the <laughs> hand doing there? If that was done, if that was, you know, Connor Thomas doing that, we'd have had his guts for garter on this podcast. Um, so I dread to think what Rams talk or whatever the podcast are going to be saying about Hurahan on their latest edition. Just going back to Aaron Rowe, though, and it sounds an obvious statement, um, but you'll know what I mean when I say 
the first, the second goal doesn't happen if the first doesn't go in. He had a shot because his confidence was sky high and he believed that he could shoot and it would end up in the back of the net. Um, and as you say, if you don't shoot, you don't score and, and it, it favoured us. And hopefully, like you say, Graham, that's lit a fuse inside him now and he knows that he can, he believes that he can and he'll go on a run. Wonderland though, wasn't it? You know, we I, I don't know about you lot, um, where you, you were further up up at the back, we were down near the front and we, we were sort of looking at each other. Is this real? Has this just happened? You know, particularly after going one nil down after two and a half, three minutes, whatever it was, it it was a bit sort of surreal, to be honest. We couldn't believe that we were not only back in the game, but leading it. It, it's mad. I didn't give us a prayer. When I saw the team no. get, before the game, I didn't give us a chance. And when we went 1-0 down, it's like, this is going to be a long night now. <laughs> um, I never, you know, if you'd have told me at that point what was going to happen, I, I'd have had your section. <laughs> true. It's true. We're all the same now, aren't we? Yeah. I think the best thing that happened was how quickly we equalised. Yeah. Because the game plan was clearly hit him on the break. We've got Rowe, we've got Tracy. White could make those runs from midfield and we'd have fancied to hit us, hit them on the counter. Um, and we could sort of do that if the game was level. The fact that it was only seven minutes in, it was still level, admittedly one each and not nil-nil, meant that the game plan could be enacted. And Benny alluded to that in his pre-match press conference. We've got a game plan which we think can execute and get us a result. And it's clear what it was. And it was with mighty effective, so he was right. But it might have been different if we hadn't have equalised as quickly as we, as we had. Um, but yeah, Aaron Rowe... We'll take it. How clever was the management team's substitutions when they brought on Shiloh Tracy and Connor Thomas, what, 10 minutes into the start of the second half? How clever was that? And this is no disrespect to the two players who've come off, but crew were a stronger team then than they were before. Clever move yeah, by the management team. I, I agree. I think it was, it was a clever way of using two players who probably weren't going to last 90 minutes rather than start them, have them as finishers. So we're not finishing very, very weak. And particularly bearing in mind the position we'd got ourselves into by then, it looked like a, a masterstroke, didn't it? Um, we'll, we'll call it good judgment rather than luck, but um, it, was, it, it, was, it was great to be able to bring those players on and let them have their half an hour, 40 minutes, whatever, um, but finish rather than start. Can I ask you, Graham, what you mean by that, by clever? Obviously, I didn't watch the game, um, but my understanding from what I know about those two players would be it's clever because Connor Thomas is going to shore up the game and Shiloh Tracy is going to stretch the game, a game we're winning. Is that what you mean or something else? No, I, I mean exactly that. And, and I do believe that them two lads wanted to play from the start. They would have wanted to be out at quarter to eight, but the management team had decided... <clears throat> that they've got to look after the squad. It's a very threadbare squad at the moment. Yes, I know there's no game this week, but it quickly turns around. Play on Tuesday night. It'll soon be Saturday to take on, on Doncaster Rovers. And those two lads come on, exactly what Steve just said, a great time. We were 2-1 up and the best team. And as it proved, their influence in the game, Tracy brought that extra dimension again with pace and Connor Thomas was just sitting in there just breaking things up when needed. So uh, I just thought it was, uh, a, you know, things like that go a, w a little bit under the radar for, from certain supporters. They just think you've got to hold the board up and bring a sub on and, and they'll do the business or take that man off because he's not he's playing hopeless. Well, 
there's always methods in the substitution made by the management team. And this one worked for me spot on. My view on it is I suspect it was pre-planned. He was looking, I reckon, around the hour mark. If it was nil-nil at that point, he could have brought Connor Thomas on to free Joe White further forward. And then Shiloh Tracy becomes that sort of attacking outlet to potentially pinch us that goal on the counter. The fact that Derby started the second half, I think it was fair to say with a bit of head of steam, didn't create much, but you felt like it was wave after wave after wave coming. Um, there was the Finney injury, which allowed the break in play for him to get Tracy on, to get Thomas on, to make the subs, and it just halted their momentum a bit. Tracy became an outlet, uh, and Connor Thomas, who I think we've got to, we've got to, got to really praise, actually, because he's come back in the side, um, and he's been terrific, actually. So he came on and made a difference in midfield as well. So the subs did work, but I felt like it wasn't a managerial masterstroke. I think it was more... This is the 11th. I've got that change planned for the hour. He just brought it forward by five minutes. Mark, I'm going to come to you uh, for another player. And I I feel like we're just going to go through the entire crew squad and say, this player's playing well. Aren't they good? But someone who I do think we need to talk about is someone Graham's already mentioned. Um, he was a sub for most of this season so far. And I think he was a sub that we were mostly happy with because of the two players that were ahead of him, Tabano and Powell. But Joe White, currently is looking like he's undroppable, isn't he? He's phenomenal. Um, he, he appears to have come from nowhere. He came on uh, away at Salford um, in that infamous game and, and he looked a player that day. You know, he was he was involved and he was playing clever passes and it was like, he's got something, this kid. Um, and then obviously the, the, you, you're worried when Jack Powell goes out because we're crew, like, how do you replace Jack Powell? We can't go out and get anybody because of the transfer window. We haven't got anybody lined up and you think we're really going to struggle. You know, you're suddenly relying on Joel Tabner and he's injured. Um, but he was he was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, you're quite right. I, I'm glad I didn't have to choose man of the match because you could have chose all 11, I think, and plus the subs. But uh, he was phenomenal. He's got an eye for a pass. He, he oozes confidence. You know, you can give him the ball anywhere on the pitch and he looks relaxed. He doesn't look like he's going to give it away. Uh, he believes in himself. Um and, you know, I just hope that we can keep him beyond January because if he keeps this form up between now and Christmas, you know, clubs above are going to be having a look down and thinking we fancy him. Just picking up on that, the that confidence thing, um, it was my brother said um, against Notts County, he said, just look at him, he's suddenly developed a swagger, a, a real belief in that he, he's sort of, he's back or he's where he wants to be in terms of his his fitness or his his form or whatever that he 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 runs around like like you know he 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 knows he's decent and god almighty was he on tuesday he i thought he was absolutely exceptional best player on the park i thought on tuesday night and he had some fair competition from our side but as you said january is going to be the key isn't it and you would hope that both him and newcastle see sense in that he's playing, he's playing in a decent side or playing football the right way. He appears to be enjoying it and it, it can't be doing his development any harm at all, can it? Graham, um, if I was to list my things that were concerning me about Kralix at the moment, I think what Mark said earlier about the fact that his contract is only till January, I think that's quite high on my things that are concerning me. Do you know, are the club trying to extend that? Is that has there been any talk on that front? 
No, but I'm pretty sure next time we go, we've I'm done any press conference since uh, the game after Tuesday night. But I'm pretty sure he's top of the list of what of the, the, the questions that we're going to pose to him. I think it's the middle of January. It's due to go out, and uh, you're right what you say, Steve. You hope that the two clubs, well, definitely Crew will want to keep him. Whether Newcastle think he can go up a league higher. If they've been watching him every week and see his progress, who who knows? It'll be their call on that. But you know, we've had a few years of being under pressure with contracts and buyouts or sellout clauses or whatever you call them have reared their heads and players have moved on. I only hope that if there's one or two coming out in the summer, that there's not cheap buyout clauses. Uh Somebody might go in January. What I'm talking about that, of course, is uh, the likes of Conor O'Reid and people like that. I don't know what their contracts are, uh, how, they, how, how they how they are for long term, short term, or whatever. But I only hope that if there is still those buyout clauses inserted in contracts, Crew have got it right for them this time because they didn't really have it right, did they? The, the, you know, two years ago, all. Apart from Charlie Kirk and Tommy Lowry, who's you know unfortunately been injured, the other lads are absolutely flying high. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Alex, I'll come to you for the final goal. It is a Joe White assist. Um, I feel like we've not really talked about Mickey uh, on the podcast for the last <laughs> couple of weeks, but I, I think we sort of got fatigue in just saying, yeah, he's great, isn't he? But Alex, <laughs> he's great, isn't he? Oh, <laughs> superb. What a player. I remember crew Twitter when Rod McDonald turned up at Harrogate was in absolute meltdown. And then this bloke's turned up on the eve of the season and has been twice as good as a stretch because we have to give it to Rod. He did play well last year, but he's he is better. He is more dominant in the air. He's got just a sweeter left foot, if not sweeter. And somehow, out of nowhere, he's popped up with six goals in November. I mean, I don't think anyone at the club had six goals in November this time last year. Um, the fact that our left centre half slash left back slash sole centre half um, has got that is just is, is quite something. But yeah, what a player! Simple goal though. You know, you put a corner into a dangerous area, it allows your defenders a chance to get on the end of it, um, which he did, and he just buried it past the keeper without without a care in the world. So yeah, you felt like that punctured the that knocked the guts out of of Derby a bit. There was still the fear on my side that we knew what happened in the first leg, but it didn't have that air of inevitability like the first leg. Like we hadn't been on the back foot for 65 minutes in that game. Getting a third felt like it put it to bed. Getting the second in the first leg when Nevit did felt like, right, we've got a bit of breathing space here. Have we got enough to hang on to? Which ultimately we didn't. Um, so yeah, Mickey Dimitri, what a player. I do think we need to, that's not to say calm down, but you know, you're seeing calls, get him a new contract this, that and the other, just let's all just take stock. He's 32 years old. He's been a League Two, League One centre-half for his majority of his career. He is very good and I would look to extend him, but we don't need to rush into decisions like this. So let's just see how the next six months plays out. If he continues this form, then absolutely move heaven and earth to get him signed up. But let's keep him on his toes. Let's make sure he maintains his form. Isn't Um, he on a year plus a year? I thought he, he, we, there was a second year option on him, but I might be wrong. No. You might be, you might be right. Yeah. But I, I, I'm not sure. 
what I was going to say, lads, it's his next game when he plays it. It'll be six hundred and second career game. Six hundred and two. Why has he only played in League Two and League One? For what we've seen, for these I can't fathom twenty that, games. Right? I can't get it. I can't fathom it. Can't fathom it at all. But you do see, uh, Chris Porter was another one. Um, well, he played at some good level, though, Mark. He, he played did. at the Derbys and Sheffield United in this world. He did, but he was one, like, um, and there's been a few over the years that have come to crew at the, the back end of the careers and suddenly decided that they've started enjoying football again. You know, the, the enthusiasm of the kids around the place and training, it, like, gives them a new lease of life. Um, so maybe that's down to it. Just coming back to what you said, Alex, um, it was a good point. And I, I felt quite confident that if we could get 3-1 up, we'd go out and win it. Because Harvey Davis was very good on Tuesday. Um, he didn't do anything wrong or not very much wrong. And he did a lot right. But aside from that header that he shoveled out the bottom corner in the first half and the one he tipped onto the bar, second half, I don't think he made, he wasn't flying around the goal, uh, keeping the ball out, was he? And I think, you're right. There wasn't that threat. I think crew defended so well that Derby could still be playing now, and I don't think they would have scored. I think they learned their lessons. I think we were five yards higher up the pitch this mm. time round than we were last time, and I don't think the midfield dropped into the back four like it did last time. Because towards the end of that first leg, you had a back seven, and you had Baker Richardson up front with Aaron Rowe sort of just flittering around. You, you, there was no structure. This time, I'd have liked there to have been a bit more of a gap between the midfield and the defence, but there was a clear effort to move five yards up, higher up the pitch. So we were defending outside the 18-yard box, not on it. And the midfield was trying to uh, trying to be a midfield rather than sitting onto the back four. And I think that made a difference that it, when we were getting rid of it, there was times it would come back, but it wasn't every time it was coming back. You know, the first leg, it felt like you throw enough water at a dam, eventually it's going to burst. It didn't have that feel of it this time. And I think that was a slight tweak the management team must have made. Mark, just to finish off then on the Derby game, uh, we talked about what a great result it was at the start of the podcast. But, I mean, I would agree with you, looking at the highlights, obviously I wasn't there, I didn't watch it. It looks like in the corner of that ground, there's 800 crew fans having the time of their life and then no one's really bothered to turn up from Derby. But I I don't really feel like that's going to take anything away from the experience for you guys that were there. No, absolutely not. Um it was. I've not been in a way and it was bouncing like that for uh, for a long time, and it, I don't know if you noticed at the end. Um, since you've seen the highlights, but I don't think a single crew fan left on the final whistle. They all no. stayed behind. They applauded the players. Off the players came over and um, and you know Courtney Baker Richards can came into the <laughs> the, uh, the stand and was having. He's looking for Mickey, you, Mark, because he called yeah. him whatever. <laughs> Mickey Mickey Dimitri, you come over and. Uh, <laughs> It's just that togetherness that I think is we've talked about, haven't we? The whole everyone's in it together. That's what it feels like. Um, it, no, it, it's, it was a, a fantastic night. The fact that Derby fans didn't turn up is neither in nor there. I think it's, um, it's a lesson for the TV, though. They went for Barnsley and Horsham, didn't they? And that was over in the first 10 minutes. Uh, they perhaps should have looked a bit harder and they've had a decent game on the telly. All right, so there was a second uh, cup game this week, Thursday night. Steve, you were at Gresty Road for the Youth Cup second round against Boldmere St. Michael. 3-0 win. How was it? It was It was good. It was a really, really good, solid performance from the, the young lads. And for those wondering where the hell Boldmere St. Michael's is, it's mm. Sutton Coalfield, apparently. 
um we were we were sat amongst what must have been most of their parents um and some real proper brummy accents going on but yeah really really good good performance and a and a and a game that really they should have been well out of sight inside the first half um it was a 3-0 win in the end but we were we sort of had i would say 75% of the possession and and effectively control the game um and um we scored a goal on 16 minutes to go 1-0 up um um young mr aegis again um low cross their keeper had an absolute nightmare with it and uh, mr aegis is it callum is it um yeah, from yeah. slotted home from from actually quite quite a difficult angle cool as you like took his time and side footed it from from way beyond the far post um, we then had various chances, and and to be honest with you, I think that um, they'd be probably a bit angry with themselves that it was only one nil because at one nil you've always, there's always a chance, isn't there? Anyway, yeah, second half very much the same as the first, um, and we scored another goal on on fifty eight minutes. Um, poor kick from their goalkeeper because of pressure, and um, zing a couple of passes together. And um and it, it was a it was a good goal and then um we hit the bar ten minutes later and then um uh late on got got the third um I think it was about the eighty fifth minute um again some really impressive performances and I think last time I'd said about a few players that had stood out uh, Robinson at the back really looks the the part as does um his twin who's um, senior as well. Uh, five and six, they they looked interchangeable. Really, looked really good. And obviously, Callum Ages in midfield as well, and Vincent on on one wing and Allport on the other. They we looked really really good, and um, they've obviously got rewarded with a with a very um very good tasty looking tie down at Arsenal. Yeah, just going to come on to that, um, Graham. We. I mean, Steve's had to Google where the team we played in the second round is actually from. Hmm. Uh, we're recording this on Friday. This afternoon, the news was broken that third round is Arsenal uh, away in the Youth Cup. Chance of a full BBC Radio Stoke production going down for that one, full cameras and commentary team and all of that? Not on my hands, no. As you know, I've retired, so I can't give you the answer. You might be, you might be better asking somebody else that, but I, I would suggest... I don't think we'll get that, but uh, great for great for the boys, great for the management team. You know they overcome a tricky hurdle in Peterborough. I was there that particular game, and it looks like they're going to go through quite easily. But things changed as they had a player sent off Peterborough, then they got back on level terms. And of course, it ended up with a penalty shootout. Yeah, but Baldmere, St Michael, a well-known West Midlands sort of area non-league side, and uh, now crew have dispatched of them. I'm not sure it will be on the Emirates. I don't think it will be. They usually have somewhere else that they play the reserve team and youth team. But I'd love to think it would be. What an experience that would be for all of the team. Yes, we've got a few in there who've been featuring the odd occasion this season in the first team squad. I'm pretty sure by the time Tuesday night's over and the game against Newcastle under-21s and the whatever you call it, trophy, there'll be a few more of those names on that team sheet for that particular game. So, uh, yeah, what we need is we'll need him to get to the semi-final and final. That should answer your uh, first question, Stuart. Fair I enough. think I'd be I'd stick my neck out and, and be willing to bet that if, if, I know it's a big if, 
if it was at the Emirates, I think crew would take at least as many fans that they took Tuesday down there. Well, I, 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 funnily enough, I, I want it, love it to be the Emirates for everybody connected to Crew Alexander Football Club, and I, for one, will be in with the boys, and we'll off we yeah. go. You know, but yeah, I, well, I haven't seen anything. I've just seen a little message somebody said and said, "Hope it's at the Emirates." So we'll just have to wait and see. Okay, next we'll turn our attention briefly to the Doncaster game. Uh, but first, we'll check in with the women's team who are against Tranmere on Sunday. Matt, 2-2 uh, draw back at home. It's a tough one to take. Yeah, we're heartbroken. Uh, gutted, really, to be honest with you. I think um, we started off really, really poor, even, even, even saying that, though. You know, we were still the better team all the way through, but our passes weren't really um, connecting. We weren't building any combinations, and it was just a bit um, a bit messy, really, to be honest with you. And once we gained our composure, we started playing football. We were, you know, the, the best team in it for 90 minutes. But we speak a lot to the girls about how games are defined by, by moments, and, and two poor moments on our part have, have created a, a draw. Um, just, I'm heartbroken, mate. Uh, moving into the attacking line, as you said, we played some good football in stages. Emily Cole got the first goal. She was on fire today, wasn't she? Yeah, she did really well. Um, we, we, we talk a lot about you know the young players. Emily's one of them. Um, Leah's another. Uh, in terms of just being a little bit more cutthroat, probably. Um, that's probably the only thing missing from Emily's game today. She was brilliant. She got on the ball. She made things happen. But I kind of need more hunger in and around that box. She's really nice. She's passing off to her mates. And I'm thinking, um, just be a bit more hungry. And that's where you get your joy. And she'll learn that with time. She's, she's, she's a younger, isn't she? But bags of talent. She's done well today. And again, it's it's another case of, of missed chances. We're creating chances. We get into the final third and things just seem to break down. Is that something you're going to continue looking at? We have to continue looking at it. Uh, and at the end of the day, we have to be quite ruthless with it. Uh, there's a pressure on us. We support and develop our players. Uh, we keep trying to make things happen. We keep working on it in training. That can only go on so long. And then we start looking at personnel. Have we got the right selection? Um, do players need more time in certain areas to develop? Ultimately, you judge by both ends of the pitch. What you're doing at the defensive end and what you're doing at the top end. We can't have that much to fall in and around the final third today and ask that many questions and not get the answers. And Tramir laid on the pressure towards the final stages of the game. It, it, do you think it could be down to mentality that they allowed to get into the game and is that something you'll look at? Definitely, just spoke about that in the changing rooms. I think it wasn't just the fact that they got back into the game, I think it was the manner. I just said in the changing rooms then, I think if they'd have carved us open and scored a wonder of a goal, we might have dealt with it better. The fact that you know we've dealt with every ball that's come in the box and then we've just shirked that last one. We've, we've not gone and dominated it, we've not gone and attacked the ball. We've, we've waited hoping that no one gets on the end of it and they have. And then almost certainly you see the players realise that. And I said to, said to Ryan, um, as soon as that happened, you know, we're going to struggle a little bit now. And we, we made some changes to try and counter that. But um, unfortunately, it wasn't enough. We made a silly mistake right at the end. And she's, she's scored a worldly free kick. And, and finally, the podcast going to hit a, a significant milestone this week. What, what's it been like having that exposure on the platform for the it, girls? It, it's, it's been massive, really. You know, Stuart reached out to us a number of years ago. We've, we've done Zooms with Stuart. He's, um, the podcast as a whole have been really supportive. Um, everything we do is about exposure. The only things we can do, um, achieve what we want to do, whether it be bringing personnel in, whether it be professionalising the women's section of the club, 
whether it be finances, all comes from exposure. Uh, and it's the great work that people at the podcast do and all the people that interview us like yourselves, etc., that allow us to get that exposure to, to push on to that next level. So um, I think it's amazing for them uh, to, to support us. It's amazing for us. What it has done is I think it's it's created a bit of a link between those that maybe wouldn't be interested initially coming and supporting or paying much attention to the women's side of the club. We've certainly had people come and watch us based on what they've heard on the podcast. Um, and vice versa, some of our supporters that got into the women's game and just support us, not necessarily crew as a club, but crew women, have started paying more attention to the men's side of the club. We're all one club at the end of the day. We all represent crew. We all hold the same values. So I can't thank the team at the podcast enough. Thank you, mate. Nice one. Cheers, mate. Okay, Mark, I'm going to start with you for this section. I just want to talk really quickly about Doncaster. They're not playing this weekend. We're not playing. Um, We'll hopefully have a few players back from injury, but not everybody. Um, They're doing okay, but I wouldn't go any further than okay. And it seems like we've been on a fairly similar path as them the last few seasons. Whatever we're doing, they seem to be doing the same. But I would argue that we're a little bit ahead of them this year. Yeah, I think I'd agree. Um and plus I'd always back and fancy us at home against anybody from what I've seen. You know, I think Stockport were a level above, but they should be from the what they've spent and some of the players they've got. But everybody else, you know, we beat not we beat Notts County and, and Mansfield were good. We we drew with them and came from behind. So I'd fancy us against anybody at home. Um Doncaster won't fancy coming to Grester. I don't think anybody will. Um and I'm I'm a much more confident now after Tuesday, I think, and, and last weekend, that the the players that are sort of on the edge of the first team can step up because they've proved that they can. So regardless of who's back and who isn't, I still think we can put certainly 11 players on the pitch that will go and do a job. I, I thought for a second there you were going to say we're going to, we can put 11 past them, but uh, you, uh, you prefaced it and yeah. <laughs> Okay, like I say, I don't want to spend too long on this. It feels like it's quite a long way in the distance. Um, so I'll just ask Mark, whilst you've just finished that, what's the score going to be? 11-0? No, uh, I'll go 2-1 crew. Okay, Steve? 2-0 uh, crew. Alex? 3-1, home win. And Graham, I'll put you on the spot. What's the score going to be against Doncaster? Yeah, I'm going 2-0. Don't forget now we've got 13 different goal scorers through the squad. So let's find another one to make it 14 in that game. Great stuff. Lovely, positive results there. Okay, I spoke to Daniel about Doncaster's season so far. Hi, Daniel. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi there. You okay? Yeah, all good. Thank you. Um, We'll start off then with how this season is going. Uh, Doncaster are currently 19th at the moment. Before we recorded, we had a little chat and you seem to be relatively positive about how things are going. So um, is is that the case? Are you happy with the changes that are being made or in the process of being made? Yeah, I think we're still um, suffering in terms of a league table just with the start we had. Um, I think we got two points from the first seven games. So obviously... You know, you're always playing catch-up from that point. But I think um, we've now played 17 and the last 10 games, we've won six of them. So we've taken 18 points from those 10 games. And I think in the form table, that would actually put us in and around the top seven. So obviously, we've still got those points to catch up at the start, but it kind of feels like it's in an upward 
direction. And also in the cup games we played, I think we've won a couple in the uh, the football league trophy, whatever they're calling that this week. Um, we had the FA Cup win at Accrington in the week, which I was really impressed with. So I think we've won something like nine out of 15. So it actually feels like we're on a bit of an upward curve, albeit the last league game at Wimbledon, we kind of came up a bit short as we have done in some of those earlier games. So it's been a bit of a mixed bag, but kind of feels like Grant McCann's settling in now and he's getting it moving the way he'd like to. Uh, we'll go on to Grant McCann shortly. Uh, just before we do, what's happened then that has helped turn this form around, uh, all of these points you've recently gained? And what do you think still needs to happen or to change for you to be at the the topper end of the table? I think the sort of style of plays um, emerging and, get, and getting better by the game, which I think was always going to be the case. Um, I think Grant, He's something like, if, if you top and Taylor is the sixth manager we'd had in the space of about 115 league games. So it was always going to take him a bit of time to try and work out what had gone before him or, you know, maybe give up trying to work that out and just draw a line under it. Um, we've had players coming back. Um, it's a bit ironic. Yesterday's game against Walsall was called up because they had three international call-ups. I think we played three or four league games with about 15 players at one point. So I think although we have got a big squad because Grant signed a lot of players, um, you know, trying to find those combinations and partnerships on the pitch with so many players injured, I think wasn't a good mix. And then probably to be brutally honest, um, we've had a run of games where the teams we played just haven't been quite as good. I think we started, you know, we had a lot of tough games. I think we played we went to Wrexham, Stockport. We had Mansfield early on, Notts County. We seemed to play teams who were top at the time. Like I think we played MK Dons when they were top. We played Gillingham when they were top. So I think in the first few games, Swindon were unbeaten at that point. You know, we had a tough start. And, you know, recently we'd beaten Sutton, we'd beaten Tranmere, Grimsby, Forest Green. And they're the four teams at the bottom at the minute. And I think we've needed those games and we've shown in those games we were capable of winning them. So at least we've got a little bit of a buffer now to the bottom two. But I think it's just been a, a combination of all things. But I think the last league game at Wimbledon, although we didn't play particularly well, we actually had a bench where you thought there's actually, obviously you've got the keeper on there, but you know six outfield options that could all maybe change the course of the game. And that's probably... First time we've had that since the first couple of games. Okay, you've mentioned Grant McCann a couple of times. Um, he's in his second spell at the club in charge as manager. I'm getting the the vibe from you that you're in favour. It's very much a work in progress what he's doing at the moment. Would that be the case? Yeah, I think the first spell he had in charge, I mean, he was only here for one season. Um, but Darren Ferguson had stabilised the club after the previous relegation. Um, and Grant came in, he was quite bullish about everything of, you know, aiming for promotion out of League One at the time. And I think everyone thought that was really ambitious, but he got us into the playoffs. Um, the five teams above us that season were all um, really strong teams. And I think just looking at it now, it was a year that Luton ran away with it. And obviously they've gone on. Sunderland were there, thereabouts. And they've kicked on. Um Barnsley, um, Portsmouth, I think Charlton with the other team when they went on that long and beaten run. 
and we went to Charlton and won the second leg, but lost on penalties. And and he sort of viewed that as a failure that season. And you thought, well, I mean, just to get in the top six um, and to come, I think we actually took the lead in that second leg. So we'd lost the home leg 2-1. Uh, we were actually 3-1 up in the second leg for a few minutes. And the turnaround that he nearly did. Um, but I think because he viewed that as a failure, it was almost the standards that he'd set. So I think when he came back, expectations were quite high. And he, obviously, like all clubs do at the start of the season, we were looking at the top seven and talking about promotion. I think that quickly changed after a few games to work in progress and it's going to take time. And I think he's probably inherited quite a lot of issues, but equally, um, he signed 14 players in the summer. So I think by my maths, we were left with something like 13 or 14 from last season. He's brought in basically a whole new 14. And then he's tried to almost not gel it as such, because um, a lot of his players have actually started, but he's been trying to work out, for example, what those best combinations are. And I think we've just started to see that now. But I think, yeah, he had probably talking to him, them ambitions to get us right up there from the start. Um, but we lost the first game at home to Harrogate and that kind of set the tone. You know, they were you know, well-organised and dour and they're a team that's come together over the years and we struggled to break them down. And I think straight away you got that reality check of um, this is going to be harder than it's, it looks almost. You know, I think if we'd have, I don't know, say 1-2-0 in that first game, you might have got a bit of momentum. But then we went to Newport, second game. We were 3-0 down after 20 minutes. To, there was a couple of like freakish. Like there was a known goal where we cleared it into one of our players and something else happened. And you're thinking, you know, even at that stage, they were two teams that I probably thought would struggle this season. And, you know, we didn't score. Um, we'd lost both games. So I think he's... He's definitely the right man for the job. Um, and I think he's probably come back a bit more experienced and in it probably for the longer haul this time. But I think we've just found that, you know, I think obviously yourselves are doing well, but every week uh, teams pose you a different sort of challenge. And it just seems a lot harder a division. I think the last couple of times we've been down, we've got straight back up. Um, or when we came up from the conference, we went straight up. I think since we've been back, we lost half of our games last season and we've lost nine out of 17 this year. So we've actually lost more than half our games, which when we dropped back down, I don't think anyone would have quite seen that coming. It's been quite as bad as that. So I think, yeah, he's his style of play is to try and be aggressive and positive, but he's also still trying to install those kind of, I think all league, um, league two managers talk about those basics and just, you know, winning that battle at both ends, which we're still having trouble with at times. So I think his style will emerge, but we've, we're still coming to terms with um, trying to win those, you know, those ugly things at both ends that, that give you a chance to win the game. Okay, let's move on to some players then. Uh, I've picked out Joe Ironside because he's already on eight goals this season, you know, which is quite impressive halfway through November. Is he the one we should be worried about or is there other players that make Doncaster tick? Yeah, he's um, <clears throat> he missed a couple of games recently and I think it was interesting when he didn't play because um, 
the way Grant McCann played in the first spell in charge, we had John Marquis up front, but he was kind of obviously a number nine, but a slightly different one. Uh, Joe Einstein is a real throwback um, and exactly the sort of forward I think you need at this level who, like at Accrington the other night in the cup, you can you can knock it forwards and you know either he gets knocked out of the way or he knocks other people and it does become a bit of a an ongoing battle with the officials. Um, from my perspective, I don't think he wins anywhere near enough free kicks that you think he might. Um, but also he can give them away as well. But I think he just gives you that outlet to you know, if it's not going so well, um, you can play up to him and play off him. Um, he has got a, an old-fashioned eye for goal as well. I think he's taken some penalties uh, really clinically. Um, and if anything's dropping around the box, um, he's around and he's he's very good in the air as well. Um, his movement's good. So I think, yeah, he is um, he's a key player for us, but he, he probably is a little bit of um, bit of a decoy as well because actually the team tries to, actually not play to his strengths, which sounds a bit odd, but I think McCann doesn't want us to to play the ball forwards quickly and into him. He wants him to lead the line, but by trying to play through the thirds. And we've got a lot of um, sort of skillful players. I think Kyle Hurst, just coming back from injury, he's probably on our day, um, on his day, sorry, our best player. Luke Molyneux had a really consistent season. Um, I really like the look of him when we signed him last season, but he was sort of in and out with his form. I think under McCann, he's been really consistent. He's actually played wing-back at times, but he's more suited to, to running at the opposition. So we've got, you know, those two can play in wide areas, but also like a midfield base um, of Close and Westbrook, who are really sort of clever footballers. Um, at times, they want time on the ball and you're not always going to get it, but they sort of take care of it. And... Um, I think we're trying to develop that sort of style of play that if they can't dominate the game, how can we keep the ball and, you know, stop the opposition from, from causing a problem in another way? Um, and then he's kind of built his defence around some really versatile uh, young players. Owen Bailey came in from Gateshead. Um, he's virtually played every minute. He's played in about four or five different positions. Um, he's probably more suited to playing at centre-back but he can play anywhere across the back. Uh, Tom Nixon's on loan from Hull. He's been a real uh, gem of a signing as well. He's played at right back and been really attacking. Um, He's also played at centre-back. And I think at Tramway recently, he made three sort of interventions in his own six-yard box that were really like good instinctive bits of defending. Uh, Jack Senior, who's a left-back by trade, but he can play left-centre-back. So I think he's trying to build this team around a strong sort of spine, which Ironside's part of. Uh, Richard Wood, Tom Anderson at the back, are old-fashioned, no-nonsense centre-backs. Close and Tommy Rowe in midfield, who were quite experienced. But actually, he's got a lot of these younger, sort of tactically aware players. Quite a few have come from non-league, so it's going to take them a bit of time. But I think you can see he's trying to have that spine of a team, but then have players that are capable of moving positions um, it'll quite often switch formation during the game. So it's kind of streaks ahead from what we've seen the last two and a half seasons. But unfortunately, I think we've been that bad over them two and a half seasons. He's also having to get, you know, like he's sewing needle out and stitching it 
back together. So as well as him trying to build, he's, he's trying to repair, um, you know, a lot of the um, the problems we've had, I think, came from last season where we started with a manager. He didn't really want to play any football um, and it was all on results. We then changed to a manager who was like, don't worry about the results. It's all about the performance. But trying to sort of pass away from back to front um, without really the the basics in place. So I think he's had to almost go, right, okay, this is how I want us to play. But we've got to be capable of going to Tramway on a Friday night and scrapping out a result. And, and we did that recently. So I think the last game's been the biggest disappointment because actually we've been in good form. We've got all our players back and we were heading to Wimbledon. I think they'd just been in a bit of a dodgy patch. And I really fancied us to go there and um, at least play well, but, you know, if not get a result. And we lost to a, you know, I don't know if you played Wimbledon, but they were just really solid. They just harried us all over the pitch. Their front two were decent, but you're like, you've just lost to a, a team that's worked a bit harder. And that was really frustrating because I thought we'd kind of come through that. So I think it'll be an interesting game um, on Saturday and it'll, it might be one we're a bit more suited to, you know, maybe we're not expected to get a result, um, but I'm sure, uh, I haven't seen a lot of you, but obviously over the years, you've always tried to play football and at home you've got a decent record. So maybe it will suit us to actually go into a, a more of a footballing game. But um, yeah, it feels like we're ready to kick on now, but, we're still being sort of burdened by the two and a half years prior and the start to the season, which means we're we're still playing catch up to the next time. All right, uh, yeah. Just to answer your question, uh, we did we have played Wimbledon and they were a very good team. I thought they were one of the better teams we played this year. Um, Daniel, you've led me on there nicely to uh, Saturday's game. Last question before I let you get on with your day: What's the score going to be at Gresty Road next Saturday? If you're asking me what result, I. I'd take. I'd, I'd probably take a draw. I think away we've we've won two and we've lost six. Um, Grant McCann's been quite open in saying we might need to change our approach a little bit, um, and we saw that at Accrington on Tuesday. Um, although we won the game after ninety minutes, it was one each, and again a bit more of the sort of performance I think we needed. And I think you only have to look at Accrington's result yesterday to see that you know that's not an easy place to go. So. I think if we can go and and play like we did there, minus conceding a silly early goal, um, we are capable of getting a result. But um, I don't know, every time I look, like with the greatest respect, I'm always thinking, are you going to come unstuck somewhere? But you seem to, um, you've come back a lot of times in games. And then I think beating Notts County recently. Um, I suppose you'd say, I'm, you know, if you looked at sort of where both teams are, you know, not necessarily in the table, but the home and away form. I think the neutrals would say, well, it should be a home win. But um, I don't know. I'm quite optimistic at the minute that each game we go into, we're sort of we're capable of getting a result. But um, yeah, I guess if I was um, sort of being realistic, I'd probably say a two-one home win. But um, I don't know. I think we've been a bit of a first goal team. I think we haven't. We haven't got too many results when we've been behind, although we did turn it around in the cup the other night. But when we've got the first goal, we've been quite difficult to play against. And we do keep the ball quite well, so we're not easy 
um, when we're not having to chase the game. So um, I don't know. I'll, I'll perhaps go for a more optimistic one each. Okay, Daniel, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. Lastly, then, we do have Graham McGarry with us today. So we uh, we thought we'd ask him a few questions about the team, what's going so well this year. You are around the team, not on a daily basis, but a fairly regular um, occasion. Um, what is it that is changed this year that we just maybe didn't see last year? What is going so well this year? I bet you won't dream, none of you guess what I'm going to even say the first thing is, would you? Go on, all have a guess and see what you think I'm going to say. Lee Bell. Team spirit. Togetherness. Got uh, it. I'll, I'll say something he's different got, then. Uh, he's got it. He's got it. Alex has okay. got it. All right, I won't say anything different. The then. whole togetherness of everything at the football club, whatever it may be, whether it may be the workers on a Saturday and the restaurants and the bars, wherever, the team down at Reese's, wherever, the, the players, the management team, there's a real togetherness. And I think that's been proved as well with the amount of goals that we scored late on and the way that we've played. You know, we've had too long of dark days. It's been a long time since. I could get that excitement back that I brought to, to the radio on, on, on Tuesday night because it was there. And it was just a, a an accumulation of a lot of games just have been going by where you've seen that improvement week in, week out. Only lost three league games all season, 17 played. That's terrific. 32 points on the board and the second highest goal scorers in League Two. I just think it's brilliant. Togetherness is one, and I'm going to share that equal one for a person who doesn't get a lot of uh, publicity, but I think Josh Kennard and his recruitment team have done an absolutely fantastic job. Agreed. Um, I'm good. Absolutely. I think if you'd have said a month ago, um, everybody would have said, yeah, yeah, it's been brilliant. Jack Powell, Mickey Dimitri, uh, Shiloh Tracy. But now, with the emergence of um, Aaron Rowe and Joe White, you know, it, again, it notches it up a level. It has been as good as I can remember for a long, long time. Certainly better than the last few that we'd had in um, a couple of seasons ago that, you know, they they weren't very clever at all, were they, some of those in the later days of um, Mr. Artel. Uh, but, yeah, the the I, I absolutely stand by everything you said there, Graham. I think that the... Um, that togetherness and that spirit, you can almost taste it, you can almost touch mm. it, feel it out there. And particularly even at one nil down, you know, they came they came out, didn't they? Um at Derby on Tuesday night and they came out with the belief that they were gonna get it back and that they mm. did fancy their chances and they weren't gonna lie down. And that, as you said, it, it it's throughout the club, isn't it? Now at the moment, and that's fantastic because, as you said, some dark days in recent years. But um, we're on the up, and let's enjoy it. Graham, can I chuck another unsung hero into the mix for your your thoughts? Ryan Dicker. (sighs) I could talk to you about Ryan Dicker. I'm going to blow my own trumpet. You know, I used to manage youth team football, and he played for me at centre half. What about that? You didn't know that, did you, boys? On the on the podcast. Aaron Rowe, Joe White and uh, Ryan Dick. None of this is down to Lee Bell. It's all down to you, Graham. 
<laughs> former former uh, captain, goal scorer at Wembley, Luke Murphy, all sager, Lee Bell, all yeah, sager. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah. there you go. Mark Bertels, cheer them out, don't we, Graham? <laughs> I, I just think, I just think that none of us would have selected Ryan Dicker at the, at the stage. That's no disrespect to him, but obviously, Belly knew him. He never made that decision quickly. He let it move through the summer months. He'd obviously seen what he was seeing, what he wanted to see from Dicker, giving him the opportunity. Probably didn't know that he was going to get offered the job. But it's, it's been absolutely fantastic. All those lads, uh, Michael Jackson, Kenny Lunt, Fred Barber, Ryan Dicker, Lee Bell, I've got crew right through the blood like you lads have, like every crew fan has. They're the same as you. They want the club to do well. The big thing is, can we keep it going? Can we get some more ambition from the leadership of the club to try and get back into League One this time. You can't pick and choose when you want to be involved in a promotion race. I'm going to stick my neck out now. I've looked at the league table. I keep studying it, studying it, keep thinking, wow, we're in with a shout here. So are Morecambe, so are Barra, so are Accrington Stanley, so are Wimbledon, and so are Crew. What I'm saying by that, that those little smaller clubs are getting it right. Why can't we go up this year? But January is going to be a big time for the football club because the manager will need some support. Absolutely, I agree. I'm just going to ask you, Graham. what do you think? <clears throat> because obviously we all know in the relegation season and, and probably I think it's fair to say in the first half of last season, when the, the side went 1-0 down, it was game over. We may as well have gone home. Do you think that that first day, 2-0 down at Mansfield, and we came back the way we did against a really good team, sort of set that tone? Because ever since then, you know, you mentioned it earlier on, that on Tuesday night they went straight to Lewis Billington after his mistake. And they did look like they believed it. Right, it's just a blip. Come on, we'll carry on. We'll, we'll get back in it. And within, what, four or five minutes, they were. Do you think That's that first fo- game was massive? The fact that they had that belief that they could come back against good teams? Well, it started it, and it's continued in a few more games since, hasn't it? And not only that, I think they might have drawn the first four out of the first five games before they actually won the. But they were coming back from goals behind, conceding goals right just after before half time or just after half time, an early goal. And, and yeah, I, I do do believe that. I, I think if and, and <laughs> we use the word confidence, everybody thinks you you dismiss it, but as a professional sports person, confidence is right up there. Because you've got the ability. I think, just go back to Joe White. What about that little trick he did on, on against Derby when he took four, not one, two, three, four Derby mm. players out of the equation? Would he have done that eight weeks ago? No, not a chance. Um, the conversation's just moved on a little bit, but I was uh, thinking along the same lines as Alex um, about five minutes ago. He mentioned Ryan Dicker. The other person that I wanted to mention, and you did mention him briefly there, was Kenny Lunt. Um, we have scored an incredible amount of goals from set pieces this year uh, after not really scoring any goals from set pieces for about two and a half, three seasons. I was lucky enough to be a teenager when Kenny Lunt was in his prime with a season ticket in the in the main stand. So I saw all of those balls he used to put in for Dean Ashton and Steve Foster and the rest. It has to be him that's that's come along and said, "Let's get better at this," hasn't it? Alex used the word unsung. 
I think he is really unsung as in the not not from the management team, but an unsung person regarding what how the results and those goals have been coming with set plays. They've had some real imaginative set plays. He always tells us, Kenny, he always gives us a little little uh, nudge when he's got something new. He'll go, watch the first one. And that's when you know he's been on the training ground through the week with a new idea. It might not come off, but it'll be something different. He always tells us if we've got a new one, watch the first one. I think he's been superb with it. You know, he was organising that one where Joe White hit that one on Tuesday night. The goalkeeper made a fantastic save from that. But Kenny was right behind that. He was making sure it, it happened. He wasn't happy that uh, Alan Rowe took that one on a Saturday, on Sunday, when he, when he, uh, was it Sunday? I can't remember mix whether it was the first game or the second game. Where he took one and he, no, it was, it was Tuesday and he was miles off the target and he shouldn't have been involved in it. And uh, I don't think he will be again because he'll be listening to it the King Kenny. But yeah, he's a top man. Could have been moving out of the football club a few years ago, which would have been a dreadful mistake. But finally, it got resolved and he's still with us and he's still right behind us. To be fair to Aaron Rowe, I'm willing to say he was only over that free kick because he was on a hat-trick with a few minutes Uh ago. Okay. At 3-1-up. You must have had a bet on it. I think he fancied getting a first career um, hat-trick. He also had a shot from about 30 yards on his weaker left foot when he was trying to get one in. So I think he was yeah. just chasing the dream. Okay. All right, Alex. Um, you alluded a minute ago as well, Graham, about um, crew being in with a chance uh, and, you know, having to go for it because this might not come around again. Realistically, um, where do you see this season going? I think if you listen to anybody who says they're in the know about League Two, there are four big teams and then there's the rest and we're currently top of the rest. Is that how you see it? Usually money paves the way for success, but it also can cause you a problem. And you never know, them big clubs, it doesn't look like they're going to blow up, but it could easily go wrong. It could easily go wrong. It could go wrong easier than those teams I've been talking about, the likes of Barra, Crew, Accrington, Wimbledon, Morecambe. And at the moment, it doesn't seem like it. It does seem like Stockport, Wrexham, Mansfield. Notts County is an interesting one, but the manager hasn't gone to where the people were tipping him last week because they've already filled their position on, on Friday uh, with the, with one of the former coaches coming back. Notts County could be the one that might not be one of those top three. But where the others are, we've got a few points, points to spare. We're playing as well as anybody. I think the run-up to Christmas is decent. Don't like uh, pushing the results too far ahead. But Doncaster and Sutton are our next two games. Well, if we were anything like a team, which we have been this season and got points when we said we want four from this or we could do with six points out of that, we managed to do it. Well, I would like to think we could get six points out of the next two games. And we're going into that December month then, right in the mix. I think they're right in it. I think they've earned the right to be right in it as well. Yeah, I think, just jumping on that, I think if you look at the next three, four, five league games, you've you've got to look at all of them are potentially winnable. Mm. Or I'd fancy our chances in pretty much all of them. 
Um, but you know, we've all been crew fans for far too long to That's know that we'll we'll win them all. We we won't, will we? But that we've had what looked on paper to be the a really really hard run, and we've done more than okay out of it. And with the bare bones, I'm quite getting quietly confident. And I know we're crew fans, so you know our confidence is often. You know, burst, isn't it? Very, very quickly if two a couple of them get sold in January. But I'm quietly confident that we, we are building something real here. And um it could be a good few months, couldn't it, ahead of us. Just on to the January point, Graham. Where do you think we'll be looking to strengthen? And I'll say, where do you think we'll be looking to strengthen? And is that where you think we should strengthen? Or do you think the club will be targeting other areas? Oh, it's interesting because, like, <laughs> what Steve just mentioned, you know, if we could have an injury run free, free of injuries, we'd have a strong enough squad. But as we've seen in the last six weeks, we've been six, seven players down. And four or five of them, the automatic choice is in the first team straight away. But if you're out looking to, to strengthen... It probably it all depends which way he wants to go with his left back. The left back situation has not been solved because we've had Zach Williams playing at left back, we've had Rio Adebisi playing at left back, and I don't know whether that's strengthened the team with them in the position. Both players deserve to be in the first eleven, so I'd go for a, a possible left back. I'd definitely go for one more midfield player. And they'd have to be a, a bit of a roughhouse midfield player. What I mean by that, one that can uh, leave his foot in, put his foot in. And I think, fingers crossed, we can't sign any more strikers, but we have to, fingers crossed, that those players keep playing. Because Long, Nevitt, Baker Richardson, Tracy, as good as any four, that Wrexham possibly have got better, but they're as good as anybody else in the league. So two two players, three if if the manager can push the boat out, but definitely a fullback and one midfielder. And keep the two lads who are on loan. I'm not sure. I think I think uh, Alan Rose here for the season, but Joe White isn't. It's interesting with that, and I'm not trying to throw you under the bus, Graham. I won't do that. But it's interesting that you didn't mention a winger. Then do you not think we need one? Not how we play. No, I think it's a strange one. I think I think how he plays, he gets the best out of Shiloh Tracy and Chris Long. Yeah, I, I, both, co- I, I, both coming not... off, both coming off the flanks, and they can swap over. One goes left, one goes right, one goes right, one goes left. I can see why right. they look. I can see why they're looking at him, but I can't see where he would fit if we were to sign him. Do you know? Unless, yeah, unless they're looking at next season. Well, I think they are. I think they're looking at somebody who's been at a top club, had a little smell of first team football, let's say, and then it's all gone down bank, plane wise and injury wise, and he could fit the budget that we run with as a player for longer term but there's a long way for him to prove that a long way because we've got as Steve seen the other night likes to Calamagus two or three others in the youth team 
Owen Lund, Matas Holacek, all coming closer and closer to the first team. Yeah, I can see why they're looking at a winger. Tracy has had the odd muscle injury. Obviously, Long's yeah. got a bit of injury behind him. You've got Mattis, who's now injured as well, because he'd be the one that would step in. I think he probably just wants a bit of security there because we've been successful this year because we've scored goals. So he wants to make sure he's got enough creative options so we can keep doing that. It's interesting you should say left-back, um, Graham. Do you not think Charlie Finney could just step into that role if necessary? All I can say about Charlie Finney is he, can't, he doesn't play. He must have something problem to get him into league football because every time he comes in he goes off mm. and uh, he's got uh, unfortunately he's got a lot of work to do to prove that fitness that he can be a football league player at the moment it's hard work for him just jumping back on that that winger thing and Janiel um Bennett um I think to um the way Shiloh Tracy is as as been used it really stretches the game for us and with only playing the sort of the two in midfield effectively that stretching the game is is a big thing and if we lost um Shiloh for any length of time then we haven't got an automatic uh replacement to allow us to play in a similar or the same way without him so I I think with everything, I agree with everything you said as well about the fact that it, it could, it is for a future and it's trying to find if he's got that hunger because obviously he must have the ability because he wouldn't have been at Tottenham for that long and he wouldn't, uh, you know, Brentford wouldn't have been interested in him either. That um, if we can get him, then we've at least got a backup and a plan B should Shiloh go down. The, 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 the problem that we'll have. Unfortunately, is can we attract the player on the money that we can pay? Not only that, the player will look at the crew squad and if they were all fit, he'd be thinking, why do I go there when there's 17 or 18 players that, you know, I'm not going to get a chance, I'm not going to get games. Waiting for Shiloh Tracy to get injured, waiting for Chris Long to get injured. I'm not sure we can, we can get that quality to come to crew. I think we can get that quality on loan. I think players, I think Premier League clubs will trust us with their players. If you look at Finnegan last season, mm, mm. Conquo and Beadle, you look at White and Rowe this year, who we, we look after. We don't guarantee them football. I think they'll know that. They have to earn it, which I think the clubs... Just, just to put you off, I'd go as far as to say Harvey Davis as well now. Yeah, I think he's, yeah. he's getting there. Yeah, so I actually think the quality we can attract is through young players on loan. And I don't think I mean, clubs will obviously want their players playing as many minutes as possible, but at the same time, they'd want that competitive environment for them to earn their spot because that's what it's going to be like if they were to ever make it at their parent club. So yeah. I think we could attract good players on loan. And we were attracting the likes of Finnegan, Beadle and Oconquo when we were a poor side. We're now a, a pretty handy League Two side, challenging at the right end of the division. That makes it, I think, in my eyes, and I'd hope the club's eyes, even more attractive to send players to us. Yeah, and I, I just think wanted... part of that attraction will also be Lee Bell as well. What what he strikes me as is he is quite popular amongst all of the other managers and within the game themselves mm. itself. You know, the, the senior pros, you know, fancy playing for him and enjoy playing for him. I can't say that I got that impression about Alex Morris before him and 
the rumours of Dave Artel's falling out with various agents and players and all sorts is is sort of well well known. Um, I get the impression that Lee Bell is is known within the game and also known as a good guy as well, which can't can't do anything but help, can it? I, I want to throw a question to you boys, myself, and interested to see how you answer it. What do you think about Lee Bell and his situation at the club in terms of long-term? Listen, we all know what papers are like, radios are like, TV's like. Speculation mounts quickly. Whether it was right or wrong, Bradford City's name came out of the, out of the blue a few weeks ago. What do you think about him? Well, what I'll say is, I don't know if you remember the very first time you came on this podcast. I was actually thinking about this very thing today uh, when I was planning this. You came on and we had Alex and my brother Neil. And we got into a conversation about Dave Artel when his stock was probably as high as it ever got as crew fans. Um, And you and I sort of had a chat about where is he going to be? Is it going to be crew forever? Is he going to go up or is it going to turn into Steve Davis and sort of like, you know, he had a lot of uh, praise and then that probably disappeared a little bit by the time he finished. And Alex and Neil both made the point of, I hope he goes before that uh, that sort of feeling of goodwill disappears. And in the end, I think there was quite a lot of that goodwill towards Dave Artel went because of just how bad that relegation season was. Um, I don't think at the moment Lee Bell stock with crew fans could be any higher. Uh, I genuinely don't know anyone who doesn't think he's doing a good job with inside or outside of the club. Um, We did a little piece for our website where I asked some of the pod regulars to sort of write about his first 50 games. And I described it when I put it out as essentially it's a love letter from the fans (laughs) of the club to the manager of the club, because that's how well he's doing. Um, I think if I was to guess, and I don't know him very well, I've spoken to him twice for this podcast. I think the fact that he is a crew fan makes a slight difference in him and Dave Artel. I think they both wanted to do or want to do or wanted to do the best job possible for the club. Um, But I think Lee Bell, I don't know. I mean, people are people, but, you know, things get stale or money talks and all of that. But I I think he wants to stay with crew and he wants to get us into League One and he wants to look above that because he wants the same as what we want, which is a successful crew Alexandra. But that's me without knowing him very well personally. I'll be controversial just for a change. Um, I hope that someone in the boardroom is listening to this because personally, I don't think they realise what they've got. I think, Graham, you you had alluded to it before. Um, Bradford, uh, sorry, not Bradford, uh, Stockport, Notts County. Mansfield, Wrexham have got silly money, certainly three of them anyway. And to compete with them, when you haven't got the money, you've got to find something else. And it's all right saying the academy, but the academy's not an exact science. And what he's done, he's built a togetherness. That's worth much more than money when it comes to football. Um, we've got no right, really, have we, been where we are in the league table. When you look at most league tables at the end of a season, budgets dictate where we where where clubs finish more often than not the budgets match the finishing places. So we've got no right being where we are. Um, but it's not an accident. And I think that um, I think that he's, he's undervalued. I, I, I will say that. I think you've either got to... Um, not by me, Mark. Ac- you've either got to accept 
as a board and a, as a chairman and a board, you've either got to accept that he's doing well, so chairman will be looking and taking note because why wouldn't you? You know, he's burst onto the scene from last season as a as an unknown uh, manager. He had a really good second half to last season, and now he's pulling trees up this year. So you've got to accept that that's going to come and the possibility that he might leave. I'm not saying he will, but he he might get his head turned. Or you slide a, a contract under his nose that matches your value of him and you say, we want you here for, I don't know, the next four or five years. Um, we want to keep you. We want to build something. We want you to be at the wheel, to quote uh, whoever it was, Rio Ferdinand, I think. You know, I'm quite happy with Lee Bell at the wheel. If they said tomorrow we've offered him a four or five-year contract and he signed it, I've got no problem with that. Um I don't think they will because I don't think they've. Uh, I think they're frightened um, of getting stung financially. But if they don't, and clubs have a look like Bradford, then then they've got to accept that. Um, I'm going to come to Alex because uh, you just mentioned four or five year contract there, Mark. Last season, I remember being on a podcast with Alex and Tim when Tim suggested the idea of tying Lee Bell down to a long-term contract. And Alex, as ever, being the financial voice of reason, like he did earlier in this podcast with Mickey Dimitriou, said, nah, there's no point. Let him carry on doing his job and earn it. Um, Alex, has he now earned that long-term contract, in your opinion? Look, if you're looking at it from a financial viewpoint, no. Don't offer long-term contracts at League 2, League 1 level. You don't do it. It doesn't make financial sense. But if you actually look at it in terms of what value he has brought as manager, then the answer is yes. But it doesn't make business sense to do it. As a club, we operate on the basis that we improve young players and we let them move on to better things, but they re- but we get a transfer fee for it. The same applies in a coaching sense as far as I'm concerned. Lee Bell should improve, should develop as a coach. We will benefit from him doing that. And we hopefully get our rewards by going up to League One but we've got to accept then is there's a likelihood that his head gets turned by a bigger club and we have to wish him farewell. That's how it should work. We should The manager's success will mean the club's successful when he goes on to bigger and better things like the players. I don't think there's anything fundamentally wrong with that business model. Is he worth a four or five-year contract? Arguably, on what he's achieved, would, you, would I give him one? Absolutely not. Let the clubs come in. He's got a year-rolling contract. Pay whatever his year salary is to get him out of that. And then we just have to replace him, likely from within, and hopefully we can continue that success. Look at Port Vale up the road. They gave Daryl Clark a five-year contract. He got them promoted. He was their hero. He was sacked 10 months later, and they've now got this ball and chain around their neck for the next four years and two months. I don't think you can compare, Alex. I don't think you you can can compare. No, 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 because Alex... No, Daryl Clark went through something that hopefully no one ever will again, and and that changed what happened at Port Vale. I'm going to argue with you that, that... we expect to get a good return, don't we, on players when they leave? We expect to be compensated financially. Yeah? Why should that not be the same for a manager? If we if he gets his head turned and he's tied to a long-term deal, then they're going to have to pay for him. Why, why shouldn't they? Why can he just walk away on a rolling contract and we get nothing? There's a bigger risk associated with keeping a manager on a long-term contract than what you get back in the transfer fee for releasing him. doesn't outweigh the risks. The, the, the risks do not... The benefits don't outweigh the risks, as far as I'm concerned. And we saw it with Artel. You, let's be honest, at the end of that League One season where he had us for our highest season in 15 years, everyone was, you know, that he could he could do no wrong. He got us promoted. We then kicked on. We were good in League One. He could do no wrong. Six months later, you could have sacked him after that Bolton game literally two years ago to the day. 
if you would have had him on a long-term contract like it's been proposed, we would still be paying that salary. It does not make business sense. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, but we've got to look at these in the eyes of a League Two club with a tight budget. We cannot tie ourselves into a manager for a four-year contract on a salary that we're on the hook for. It's too risky at this level. Come on, Steve. Your say. This yeah, is great. Um... Best question all night. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, I'm I'm literally down the middle with with both of you. That I think, yeah, and and also also the registrations and things like that for managers. It's not the same as a player. You're not guaranteed to get that money. Um, quite the same for if somebody if somebody go wants to go somewhere else. I think from my my point of view, we we have got to value what we've got, and I, I can't imagine that they put him on mega money initially and uh, as much as he, he's probably happy where he is at the moment I do think that we, we owe it to him the, the way we would with a player to reward him for the success that he's had thus far and so I'd possibly suggest we should be looking at somewhere in the middle in that yeah we keep that rolling contract but it's for some a bit more money than he's probably on now because people's heads do get turned. And I think the, the one thing we'd all hate is for, for one of ours to, to, to leave us. And because so far it's been fantastic, hasn't it? I, I want Lee Bell to leave, to leave us on a high. As a club, we failed to the extent of Steve Davis should have got the Burnley Wolves whatever job and gone out mm. on a high. The same with Dave Artell, not that he was in for any jobs. But the point is, these managers then left with a sour taste in their mouth, with bad will almost to an extent. That's sort of where we go wrong. We let it go on for too long and then it becomes really sour and the place becomes quite toxic. So I want to get promoted this season. And then I want the championship club to come in to Lee Bell and say, we'd like to make you our manager. Lee Bell can go in there and done a brilliant 18 months. We'd all wish him well. And we'd hopefully be able to progress with the foundations that he's laid in place. Now, I'm not advoc- that would, that's sort of not an ideal scenario because obviously it'd be great if Lee Bell could take us into the championship. But we've got to be trying, there's, you know, there's a degree of realism there. So I'm not disagreeing with what you said. Well, I am disagreeing with what you're saying, Mark. But I think we've got to divorce emotion from what makes business sense in my mind. And it doesn't make business sense to tie a manager to a four or five year contract at this level, considering how money is at a premium and how, you know, they say you should be spending 80% of your turnover on wages. Well, if you tie someone to a four or five year contract, that's going to inhibit your ability to do that and, and improve as a squad and therefore as, as a team and, and your league position. So I just, I think we've got to divorce the emotion from it. I take that. And I, and I know that you've been sensible and you talk a lot of sense I'm, I'm going to spin it around, and I know what you, people are going to come back and say it was a one-off, but and a, a former chairman of, of ours, God rest his soul, had the vision to offer manager a 10-year contract a long time ago, and look how that worked out. Um, yeah, it's a different sport to what it was 20, 25 years ago, though, isn't it? But that doesn't mean it couldn't work again. If it couldn't work again, why aren't more clubs doing it? They don't have the guts. They don't have the guts to do it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there isn't that actually to break the mould and go on this 10-year contract. I, I I, don't necessarily think I wouldn't be going down that route. I think I've made my, my point clear. Um, you fired the question, Graham. Where where do you stand? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just wanted to get your views. I'm just interested to you know, think what, what uh, listen to what you had to say, knowing how you know how the club runs, you know how it works. 
and we've got a manager at the moment who's looking as though he's going to be could be one of the best young managers that's come out of the lower leagues. But also, I would add, how much of that is tied to the latest crop of Conor O'Reilly, Zach Williams, um, Tabiner, etc. You know, how much of our managers are tied to our cycle of when the youth crop comes through, the young players comes through. Well, I think um, Belly will, will take a lot of credit because he would have worked. Oh, no, 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 no I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit here um, in that as much as whatever did go wrong at the end of Dave Artell's reign, and I, I agree with Alex that at the end of that season when we got promoted, we'd have all given him a lifetime contract, let alone <laughs> a, a four or five year. <laughs> but his... That cycle of the players, and I know that the behind the scenes, the club won't allow all of all five players or however many it was to go within a within one window, which is effectively what happened. Um, a little bit, I, I, I'm realistic in that a little bit of our manager's progression or success is is um, is reliant on on that cycle. Having said that, you cannot fault one thing that Lee Bell has done so far. And, you know, we, we go back, don't we? We talk about that spirit, the belief, the desire, the development of those players, and also the recruitment. Those players want to be here, whether they're young, old, or somewhere in the middle. Every one of those is running through brick walls for the guy. He can't be doing a lot wrong. I, I allow emotion to rule my head. I know that. I get too attached to managers. You know, Dario Grady will always Likewise. be a hero of mine. Um, and, you, and you're right, the, the biggest slap in the face you've just given me, Alex, was the, the David Artel thing. I probably would have shoved a 10-year contract under his nose at that point. What I think we've got to do, because you're making a, a really good point, Steve, is that it is cyclical and it's likely that we're going to have some rough seasons at some point. But I think the club have got to try and learn from the past. You know, the recruitment's got to be have. better. I think, yeah, I don't think we can expect um, what what did Dave Artell lose overall? Was it five players across a season, yeah. four or five players? Yeah. We can't allow that to happen and then sack a manager because that's just ridiculous. I'm not saying that he didn't deserve to be sacked, but we've got to learn from that and know that there's going to be some tricky seasons and perhaps recruitment's got to be better, which it looks like it's going to be. And maybe the board have got to put their hand in the pocket and say, we need to spend a bit more this year because we haven't got the players coming through the academy yet for another 18 months. It's time for the club to learn lessons. That's the biggest job. You've mentioned it. They've got to be on board of knowing if the cycle's not as good as it's been, what are we going to do next? And I don't somebody's, think the matters, somebody's, got, it? somebody's got to find an answer to that. Yeah, and, but but to, to be honest, to, to back the to be, to back the, the powers that be upstairs, they they did give Artel some money. You know, you look at Sambu and the money he was on and all of that crop that of absolute, sorry, sweary, um, that, that was signed in that window. It was awful, wasn't it, the recruitment? But, yeah, the club, the club are, are alert to the fact that they can't have that all of those contracts ending at the same time and they all go at the same time without 
a, a plan B at least, and we just didn't have one, did we? Really? I, I, I think there's one big factor that we're not taking into account with those five players leaving at one time: a global pandemic starved any potential clubs of money to sign them 12 months earlier. I think yeah, if you'd have true. gone back to 2019, there would have been a succession plan where they'd have gone, right, next summer, it's likely that we'll, let's say, lose Perry NG and Harry Pickering. The following yeah. summer, we'll see Callum, um, Charlie Kirk, and if Ainley had kicked on like he should have Ainley. Do you see what I mean? They'd have had the succession planning. Next season, Callum season, next season, mate. Yeah, when they were expecting to lose players and replace them. That's what I think was was sort of in planning. That obviously went out the window when we kept certain players for 12 months longer. The argument should have been you kept them for 12 months longer. Why didn't you get us in the League One playoffs? Story for another day. Um, so I, I do think the club is in a better position to adapt because Tabana's going to move on. O'Reardon's going to move on. Williams is going to move on. The way Adebisi's going, he's going to get a move to a higher level. So you look at these players that we've got that are likely to kick on and there needs to be some succession planning in place. And I do think the club recognise when the cycle isn't at its level. So they will potentially put a bit more cash behind it. And I think they're on the front foot now with, with the recruitment side of things in terms of the team they've set up. So I do think they've learned from their mistakes. They're hopeful there's not going to be another global pandemic. And I think I speak on behalf of everyone when we all hope there's not going to be another global pandemic. And we're in a position to future-proof ourselves against players moving on and a likely poorer cycle. So I'm in a... I think, I think we're well set. The other thing, just to throw in before we finish, that, that worries me a little bit is... Um, I, I'm i not saying that he would. Uh, I'm not saying that he wouldn't. But if Lee Bell left, maybe he would look to take his assistant with him because those two work. Um, there doesn't seem to be an obvious candidate at the moment that's behind them that could come in. If you're his assistant... We just said that 12 months, 18 months ago, though, weren't we? No, if no, Alex Morris looked like he was the one. But Is if he? you're Lee Bell's assistant, if you're Ryan Dicker right now... Are you going with Lee Bell to be assistant manager at a club in the top end of League One, or are you going to hang around to take the crew job? It depends on the club, Alex, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But uh, I, let, I, I, let, let's let's look at the bright side, you know, rather than don't let's not think about the divorce before while we're still married. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> good line. You've 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 certainly raised a good debate, though, Graham. It's a great question. You've been at this too long, Graham. You know the question, don't you, mate? <laughs> I just no, I just wanted to get the feeling of you know real staunch crew fans what they think about their manager in his first full season, who's already getting linked in his name to other clubs who are a lot bigger than crew will be in financial terms. Where, where, where do they think it? You know what's going to happen? Where will it go? And it's been been interesting to think. I'm 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 with. Uh, I'm with I'm with all those who think exactly that Lee Bell is a local boy, cruises team, and he stays for the time being. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. Graham, I think, you know, I couldn't be any more positive about the club at the moment. Uh, you know, watching every week, watching good football, good footballers, watching that crew cycle, the progression of the youngsters again. There is one thing, though, that has annoyed me more than any this season. And as I said earlier in this podcast, we are recording Friday. Uh, so it was today the clubs put out some media saying that that rule about the uh, the, the kids in the Gresty Road end has been reversed. They're allowed back in. Now, you don't have to comment on this if you don't want to, but I think that was something the club got wrong initially. And now they've gone to uh, change that and made the right decision now. 
Yeah, well, you might be right. But what you've got to do is put your hands up and uh, applaud that they've looked at it and they decided that uh, they're going to revert back to how it was, you know, last time around. So uh, let's just hope every, everything goes all right. It gets filled with crew fans behind the goal, whatever age you may be, and enjoy the rest of the season because the rest of the season is going to be a great ride. Lovely. I, I mean, that sounds a really professional way to end it. I'm going to ruin it by just asking you one last question. Where is it going to end? Oh, I'd love to think we could just be that one little club as they call certain clubs to make an automatic promotion place and upset the big guns. They might just have to go through the playoffs because crew, as you know, and you all know, don't do things easy. Never do things easy. Playoffs, definite. I'll come back later in the season with an update. Uh, that'll do us then for another week. Alex, Mark, Steve and Graham, thank you so much for coming on today. Excellent. Brilliant. Enjoyed it. A positive as well. It's a great feeling. Get in. <laughs> Let's have it. Thank you, as ever, for listening. We may be back on Thursday with um, an ex-player pod. It's not been recorded yet, but keep your eyes peeled. Uh, until then, goodbye. Dang, 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 ding, dong, ding, blue.